Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, man, so glad to be worshiping with you. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad to have you here. And uh, if you, if that's you, I would love to have you. We have some uh, connection cards over on the side, welcome cards. We'd love to have you just fill that out. We'd love to get in touch with you this week and let you know um, who we are as Creekside and get to know you and um, talk about next steps and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if you do fill one of those out, you can put it in the offering box over here on the side. Um, how are you guys doing? I am, I am spent. I am exhausted. So I am back from a week at youth camp. Have you guys ever been to one of these things? It's insane. Yeah. It is nuts. I've got my camp bracelet on and um, had an amazing time. But I will just say, man, it was crazy. So last Sunday we were here and um, maybe about like... It was right before the second service started. We got the call. Uh, we're supposed to go to Coloma. An hour away, we got the call. Camp is canceled. They had a COVID outbreak, and they have no staff to, like, bring us up there. And so within about an hour or two, we had a plan B to go down to a camp in Santa Barbara. And we left first thing Monday morning and had an amazing time down in Santa Barbara. It's like, it's a miracle that it happened at all. But um, I was there. Jalise was there. And uh, I am upright mostly because of coffee and a lot of just like insane willpower that I'm channeling right now. Um, and uh, so anyway, it was, it was great. I'm going to share a little bit more about it as we go, but I'm, I'm tired. I'm sure you guys, you guys have been this summer. I feel like we're all traveling around the globe as much as we possibly can. Uh, we're busy. We're tired, everything else. And so I want to just start by inviting us back into um, the space that we've been in for the last few weeks. So what we've been doing this summer, we're, we're joining Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Um, and so if you have your Bible, let's open to that section. It's in John 13 to 17. This morning, we're going to be in the beginning of John 14. And in this space, Jesus has been doing so many things that his, his, his followers are like there with him. They're, they're step by step. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's doing all kinds of things, getting all this opposition. Now they march into Jerusalem and their ultimate showdown is coming. And Jesus takes his disciples. They go into this upper room. They celebrate the Lord's Supper together um, the night before he's going to be betrayed. And, and what we are doing this summer is just sitting in that space with the disciples as Jesus delivers his sort of last instructions to his followers. And it's a pretty powerful place to be, to be kind of, you know, for us to kind of week by week step outside of our busy lives, leave our exhaustion or joy or fun or whatever behind, just kind of step back into the space with Jesus. And what we've seen happen so far is Jesus has um, started the meal by getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of his disciples and instructing them, hey, I'm calling you to do the same thing for each other. Um, we've seen him talk about how he's going to be betrayed first by Judas, who will literally hand him over um, to be crucified, but also Peter um, saying, you're going to deny me three times. And, uh, and then last week, Pastor Nathan talked us through Jesus giving them the command, if you're my disciples, the way that people will know that you are my disciples is by the way that you love one another. And so this morning, we're going to pick up from there. And so we're just, we're just here, and we're in this space, and we're sitting with Jesus and his followers. And man, the words that Jesus speaks are so powerful here. Some of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke are in this passage. Let's go through the first six verses of John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And let's just even just pause there. 
So Jesus is saying, why is he saying, don't let your hearts be troubled? He's literally just said, Judas will betray me. Um, Peter, yes, you're saying that you'll die for me, but you also are going to deny me three times. And so you can imagine the disciples being there. They are followers of Jesus. They're there to support and follow Jesus. And he's saying, it's going to fall apart. I'm going to be betrayed and also denied by you guys. And so you just hear him saying that there's a, there's a rustling and what's going on. He's saying, hey, don't worry about it. Don't let your hearts go be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. The, the word believe has these trust um, undertones to it. Trust me. I'm doing something. I'm working. Things are going to get hard. Things are going to get crazy. You all are going to be super unfaithful. It's okay. Just trust me. I'm doing something here. And then he gives these really encouraging words. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to repair a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus is talking now. Okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. My father's house, there are many rooms. Okay, these are famous words. It, it leads us to kind of have this picture in our mind of, of heaven is going to be like living in a mansion, right? Like a big, big house with like lots and lots of rooms in it. Um, and so we're going to go up there and we're going to just like, so I don't think Jesus is trying to talk about architecture or floor plans here, okay? Um, but he's saying like, okay, I am, I'm leaving. He's preparing them for this fact. I'm leaving. I'm here with you now, but I'm going to be gone. But don't worry where I'm going. There is so much room, right? There is room for all of you. There's space like, come, you're going to join me. And I love the way that he portrays this. He says, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. It's like picturing Jesus, like a host who's getting ready for a party, you know? And it's always great going to someone's house, right? And there's some people that do a great job of hosting you or whatever, but then there's those people that are like the insane hosts, right? Where you know like, okay, a party at this house is gonna be incredible, right? Plenty to eat and drink, and we're just gonna have a great time. Picture Jesus, right? Just saying, okay, I'm with you guys. I'm here. There's a lot going on, but hey, don't be troubled. Trust me. There's so much room in my father's house. I'm going, I'm getting it ready for you and just picturing Jesus inviting us in. Hey, this is where we're headed. You're gonna be with me so that where I'm going, you're gonna be able to be with me too. I love, man, this picture of Jesus inviting them in to be with him because that's where we're gonna be, right? I mean, that, that, that is like where this ends up, where this ends up. Everything, I mean, we have good days and we have hard days. We have good years and we have hard years. And Jesus is saying, okay, don't worry. At the end, don't worry, don't worry. It's all gonna be fine. At the end, I'm getting this ready. There is a party. I am getting ready to invite you in. It's a picture, I think, uh, that reminds me of the Garden of Eden. So when you read the first few pages of the Bible, you see God creating everything. He creates the world and everything in it. And then in the midst of that, he turns and he creates this garden in the midst of it, creates a place, right? Prepares a place. And then he creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them inside the garden. And it's there that we read crazy statements like he's walking with them in the cool of the day, and, and God himself is conversing with his people. I think this is the same kind of a picture of this place that Jesus is going to prepare and get ready that he's then going to invite his people into. And as beautiful as that sounds, what's even crazier is he's preparing a place that's even better than the first because that first one didn't last all that long, really, because he's there, and then, and then there's the serpent is there, right? And there's, there's Adam and Eve making these choices to rebel against God, and they're expelled from the garden. This time, Jesus is preparing a place, and he's inviting us into it, and in this place, 
already before we enter sin and evil and death has been eliminated. Jesus has defeated all this and now he prepares this place and invites us in. Man, it's such a good, good thought and a reminder that what this is all about, what Jesus is going to do, what it's going to accomplish, everything that he's calling us into, all of it is actually about going to be with Jesus. He's there waiting for us. He's going there where the Father is, and he's saying, we're welcoming you. Come in. That is what it's about, ultimately getting to be with Jesus. Now, how does he go from here? So Jesus says in verse 4, you know the way to where I am going. And I love that Jesus would say that, and seems like he's just assuming, like, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Of course not. Verse 5, Thomas jumps in. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So I love it. Like, Jesus is like, you know the way. And, and Thomas is like, we don't even know where you're going, Jesus. How are we supposed to know how to get there? And I love the thought, you know, Jesus so calmly, it seems, in the Gospels, he walks up to his disciples and he says, follow me. And then they do, right? And you just, I've always wondered, like, where did they, what, like, what did they think that that meant, right? Like, what did that, like, follow me? Like, if I said that to you, you'd probably come with me for a little bit thinking, okay, he's going to ask me for, like, a favor. We're going to go do something together. But like three years into it, you're still following me and like, are we, are we going somewhere? So what did they think, right? And then here Jesus lobs the softball question to them. Like, you guys know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas decides to take a swing. Hey, uh, Jesus, we don't know where you're going. We certainly don't know how to get there. And then Jesus responds with these beautiful words in verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, I love the fact that Jesus gives the opportunity for this, to talk about who he really is. This reveals so much about who Jesus really is. And Thomas's question, I think, reveals what humanity has been struggling with from the very beginning. Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And from the very beginning, humanity has been wrestling with this. We don't know the way. We've been trying to figure out the way. And it's been this elusive enigma from the beginning. So you can go as far back in human history as you want. You can look at the Egyptians building their pyramids, right? And they're trying to find a way into the afterlife, and they're wrestling with that. You can look at tribal animistic cultures where there's spirits they believe living all around them, and they're trying to keep the spirits happy so that they can have a good existence. And, and um, you can look at Buddhism that sees the world is like consists of suffering, and we're suffering all the time, so we're going to escape all that by withdrawing from it and stepping away from all the suffering that's around us. You can look at Hinduism, and they're, they're um, their concept of karma that is going to be like, I have, there's suffering in this life. I have to endure my suffering that's allotted to me now so that I can attain a better existence later. You can look at Islam where there's a good and righteous and all-powerful God, and we've got to be good and righteous like our God and obey him. All of humanity, every culture has been wrestling with the question of, God, where do we go and how do we get there? And we, we fight and we wrestle and we try to figure it out. But again and again and again, we find that it's very, as, as human as it is to wonder about that, it's equally human to completely fail at that. And I would say even us in the church, even us in Christianity, I think there is a sort of a pop culture version of Christianity that sees the answer to that. Where do I go? I want to go and I want to be with God. How do I get there? I need to either live a loving and kind enough life so that I can be there or an obedient and service-oriented enough life so that I can get there. And we create these versions of where is God and how do we get there? And we invest our lives, so much energy and frustration and 
sadness into just pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm going to get to where God is going. And so uh, Thomas asked the question, and Jesus' response is just has been so beautiful for me this week, so healing for me, because Jesus' response is not try a little harder. It's not about a location. It's not about an accomplishment. It's not about a strategy. Jesus' answer is simply this. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And I love the picture. Okay, I'm going to the Father. How do we get there? Jesus says, I, I'm here. Like I, like, I am here. And that phrase, I am, I mean, Jesus throughout the book of John is basically flirting with blasphemy the whole time. So Jesus keeps saying these things that, that are showing everyone who he is, but in a way that would have made everyone feel really uncomfortable. Because in the Old Testament, this, this Hebrew Jewish culture, um, when God revealed himself to Moses, kind of back towards the beginning of it all in Exodus 3, and, and there's the burning bush, and Moses says, like, who do I tell people that you are that is sending me? And God says his name, which is... I am that I am, right? That's God revealing it. That's where we get the name Yahweh from. I am that I am. And then Jesus comes on the scene much later, right? And here he is, and he says, basically uh, uh, seven or so times in the book of John, he says, I am the good shepherd. You know, and everyone's kind of like tensing, and oh, okay, was that blasphemy or not? Like, I'm not really sure. I am the way, the truth. And, and so he keeps doing it, and he gets bolder and bolder and bolder until finally um, the Jewish leaders finally do just like tear their clothes and like that, that's it. That's outright blasphemy. Jesus is revealing something so huge and he kind of walks the line of blasphemy. I think, he, I think he crosses it where it's either he's a man claiming to be God or he's God claiming to be God. And I think he's getting there with this. I am the way. I am the way. So where are we going? Jesus, like, how do we get there? Jesus is saying, I'm the way, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. He's showing, like, this idea that how do we get to God? It's, it's through me. I'm the path that you're supposed to follow. I'm the one that, that, um, that shows you where to go. He explains, I am the truth. So through, throughout the whole um, Old Testament, the truth is such an important concept, and it is everyone is telling these lies about who God is. Everyone's telling these lies about um, what God wants or what we should do, but God speaks the truth, and Jesus steps in and says, I am the truth, right? What do you need to know about this world and who you are and what's happening around us? Just look at me. I'm the answer to all of it. I am the truth. I am, I am real reality. I am the one that it all makes sense. So there's nothing in this life that we shouldn't see through the lens of Jesus. And he's just claiming, I'm Jesus. I'm here. I am what you need to know about God and about the world. And Jesus says, I am the life. And that, that is a rich, rich word going all the way back to when God created this world and created life, right? Plants and animals coming alive, and he creates Adam, and he breathes life into Adam. The, re the reason that we as human beings have life at all is because God breathed it into us. And the Old Testament is full of all of these promises about how God will give life to his people, make them alive. During, during our COVID Easter, we talked about Ezekiel 37 and the, the prophecy where Ezekiel looks out over this valley, and, and it's like this picture of Israel as this valley just filled with all these bones, these skeletons that are just dry and dead, and, and he's talking about God's Spirit coming and breathing life into that. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus talks about the concept of being born again. And Jesus now saying, I am the life. I am that power, that life that's going to come back into you. And so Jesus saying this, okay, 
Thomas asking, Lord, where are you going even? How do we know how to get there? Jesus saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I'll say, this is, this is one of the more awkward phrases that I've ever preached on. Um, not because I think it's that controversial within our church family, but I will say that in this society today, this is an awkward statement to make. No one comes to God except through Jesus, right? That's an exclusive statement. That's an offensive statement. And it's one thing to kind of do it in, in Bible reading. It's one thing to talk about it in church, but to look a atheist friend in the face and say, hey, the only way is through Jesus. To look a Muslim or a Hindu friend in the face and say, hey, the only way is through Jesus. And I wrestle with that. I like being a nice guy. I like not getting people mad at me, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that Jesus like literally says that. And, and I read there's this uh, pastor I love named Bruxy Cavey, and he explained it in a way to me that was so powerful that, you know, sometimes we think of a statement like this. It's like Jesus is making arbitrary rules, you know? Okay, hey, I'm here, I'm Jesus, and I'm not letting anyone to the Father unless you come through me. It's kind of like he's like a kid making the rules to a game, and it's just arbitrary. and like, well, that's not fair, you know? I think we think of it in those terms. It's not fair. But Bruxy Kiwi says it's, it's not like that at all. It's not, there's nothing arbitrary about it. It's not like this is all, it's not like God is up on top of a mountain, right? And there's all these paths going to the top of the mountain, but Jesus comes along and says, hey, this path is the only one that I'll count. You go up the mountain any other way, I'm not counting it. Only this path counts. He says, it's not like that at all, actually. He says, God's not up on top of a mountain. He says, what's happened is that God has, in Christ, come down the mountain, there's no way up the mountain. There's no way to God from humanity. And so every path that we think leads to God, it simply does not. Every path does not. But what's happened is God has come down the mountain, the person of Jesus. And he's come and he's laid himself down for us, right? He's taken all of our imperfections, all of our guilt, all of our failures. And he's come in the midst of it and said, I am here. I am your God. I am here. And I'm here to love you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to transform you. And because Jesus has done that, laying down his his life, he then becomes the way to God, right? He then becomes the truth that we need to see how things really are. He becomes the life that takes our dead bodies, our dead souls, and makes them alive. And so it is not this arbitrary thing of this is the only route that counts. It's saying there's no way. There, there's, there, God is not sitting at the top of a mountain waiting for us to figure out. No, God has already come, and he's here, and he's Jesus, and he's here loving us. He's here in grace. He's here in invitation. And so I think at the same breath that we say, no one comes to the Father except through me. Remember, Jesus said, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. There's so much room. Everybody can come. There's, there's no limitations. There's no lack of space. But I'm the only way that you can get there. And why? Why is Jesus the only way to God? I would say because only Jesus is God, right? It's not leading us to—he is the one who leads us ultimately to himself. And then he gets a beautiful picture. And so you picture the disciples. And when Jesus walks up to them for the first time, and they're standing there, and they're living their life, they're being the best Jews that they can be, and Jesus comes to them and says, hey, follow me. It wasn't when they completed that journey of following Jesus that they get to be with God. It was when they took that first step, and Jesus said, follow me, and they took that first step, they were with God, right? Because Jesus is God. So following Jesus, it's less about the location, it's less about the destination, and it's more about who you're with at the time, because 
because Jesus is the one ultimately that we follow, that we're with. And then ultimately at the end, he's going to prepare a place where we can all live with him. But man, this is the heart. It's the beginning and the end of the whole thing is that we get to be with Jesus who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. And man, that has been a beautiful, beautiful reminder for me. Let's read on a little bit. Jesus says some um, even more potentially blasphemous things here. Verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the confusion, right? Okay, if you'd known me, you would have known the father. From now on, you know him. And I'm telling you that you've seen him. And I think they'd be like, but Jesus, if we had seen God, we would have known it, Right? Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Man, these are huge words that Jesus speaks. There is this um, really, like, important event that happened in the Old Testament. In Exodus 33, Moses is like interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. He goes into this tent of meeting to meet with the Lord, and Moses makes this insane request, and he says, Lord, show me your glory. And uh, God explains to him, hey, um, that's really cute, Moses, that you would ask that, but nobody can see me and live, okay? So the intensity of seeing God, he's just saying, it just can't be done. But Moses is a good guy, and God loves him, and they had a really special relationship, and so God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take you up on the mountain, I'm going to find this crack in the rocks, and I'm going to tuck you as far down in there as you can go, so that you can see a little bit. I'm going to cover that crack with the, my hand, and while you're in there and I'm covering it, I'm going to show you just a glimpse of my back, and that's about all that you can see and still survive. And apparently God does that, and apparently Moses survives, and I would love to have seen what that looked like. I have no idea, and um, it raises all kinds of questions for me. But what it does is it shows the intensity of saying, show, like, Philip's question here, Lord, show us the Father. Show us God. And that's an intense, crazy question, and these people knew the Old Testament so well, they would have known the intensity of that request. And Jesus, man, Jesus' answer to that uh, is in verse 9. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Man, what a crazy thing for Jesus to have said. Really, Philip? You want to see the Father? I've been with you all this time and you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Man, that is a statement. If I made that statement, you should all pick up rocks and stone me, okay? But Jesus can say that. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says, how can you say, show us, show us the Father? And so Jesus is just, he's pulling it back. He's revealing Jesus, or he's revealing God the Father, and he's just saying, hey, look, I know you've been wondering. I've been trying to prepare you to understand this, but look, if you've seen me, you've seen God himself. I mean, Jesus is just absolutely revealing to his disciples. And can you imagine, like, the wheels turning and thinking, okay, I'm looking at Jesus, which means I'm looking at God the Father. I'm looking at the I Am. I'm looking at Yahweh himself. And this is the one that just got on his knees and washed my feet. I mean, it is an incredible thought, but Jesus is just revealing. And I love the thought, man, of 
These disciples have been with Jesus for three years, right? Walking alongside of him. And, and I bet, I mean, they had, they had questions. Like they had, the thought was in their brains. And you see a few times where they're kind of worshiping Jesus. They're acknowledging that he's the Christ and the Messiah. So they're kind of getting it as they go. But, but all that time, like the, Jesus is still saying, like, I've been with you this whole time and you don't see really who I am. Jesus came to just show people, they, you, look, you, you want to see God. You don't know even what to look for. Here I am. I've been here. You haven't known what to look for. And there's this immense, um, this immensely beautiful moment where Jesus is just showing them, look, I've been here this whole time. I think sometimes in our uh, theological conversations, we focus on the abstract and we focus on um, philosophical concepts and metaphysics and all that. And we talk about the nature of God and the omnipotence of God. And we talk about the love of God and they're all kind of big picture uh, philosophical conversations, which are great to have, which I love having. But I think Jesus is showing us, look, if you want to see God, if you want to know what God is really like, sure, have all those conversations. But if you want to really know, you've got to look at me. You've got to see me. You've got to wrestle with who I am because I'm here to reveal the Father to you. I'm showing you what God is really like. And I love the practical nature of that. It's one thing to talk about the love and the grace of God. It's another thing to imagine God on his knees washing the feet of his disciples. There's something beautiful when theology takes on flesh and helps people see, people who don't know what to look for, who can't see what God is doing, can't imagine what God is doing, when you get a chance to see and experience from a different angle, oh, that's what God is really like. And I think, um, so I was, I was working on this um, message and preparing it, like I was, you know, I'd go get like shot up by a bunch of paintballs, um, develop some welts, and then like come and like work on my, my theological um, take on this passage. And I was thinking about it while I was down there at camp with these kids. And man, I'll tell you, we have some pretty amazing youth. Um, like I, like we really do. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like kind of even teary thinking about it. Like we have some pretty amazing kids in our group. Um, this week was hard and it was smelly. And, uh, and uh, it was intense in a lot of ways. Um, and I do have paintball welts in places that you don't want to see. Um, but, but what was crazy about it was seeing... Um, Seeing our, our kids, and I'm, I'm using the word kids, it would probably be pretty offensive to the older ones, definitely, but uh, our, those, those that we've raised, you know, um, seeing them kind of act like adults, and, and, and I think kind of acting like a little church in themselves. And so we're there, and I, out of the 50, like, youth that were there, um, at least a third of them, like, cried at some point or another during the trip, you know? There were a lot of tears, honestly. Um, and... And then there's all the frustrations that come out, you know? And, and so like at least half of them got mad at somebody at some point. And, um, and then there was the, the, the statements, like the frustrating statements that come out, like, like, um, like this is, I'm the worst, like nobody likes me and whatever. And so everyone's just kind of wrestling with all this stuff and wrestling with being a human, wrestling with all the freedoms and the lack of sleep and all this kind of stuff. But then they would express frustration like, nobody likes me, nobody cares about me. And then they would go sit at a table full of a bunch of kids that like love them and care for them, right? They could express their frustration that like, um, like man, I'm like, I'm, I'm an outcast or whatever. And then they'd have these adults that just gave up their week to just go and like serve and love these kids and have this great intentional one-on-one -on -one conversation with these really spiritual mature leaders. It was a beautiful thing. And it made me think of the church as a whole. And just to think, man, we're... 
we don't know what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? We're just going through life, and these kids sometimes think we have it together. We don't, you know? Um, but we go, and we wrestle, and we get frustrated, and we talk about how God's distant, and, um, and how, you know, wrestle with grace, and we wrestle with unanswered prayer. Meanwhile, just look around you, right? And we have this family that's here for each other, right? We have these people that will serve us. And I, I, I see it, man. I see different ones of you that I talk to and it's like frustration and I just don't know what God's doing. And meanwhile, there's just people on their hands and knees serving and blessing and embracing. And man, that's a beautiful picture of what the church I think is meant to be. And so it was the reason I'm sharing all this is just, I think there's this this, this knowledge of God that only happens, that, that only kind of comes to a realization when we can see the Father, not in an abstract, distant sense, but seeing him up close. And Jesus is that, like, like, to, like perfectly. He is perfectly that God in flesh. But he also calls us to be that, too. And he lives amongst us, and he lives in us, and he works through us. And so there is this amazing sense in which we get to be these representatives of Jesus, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, this is now where this invitation comes home, and I want to look at the last few verses here, up, to, up through verse um, 14. So, starting in verse 10, Jesus is going on, okay, how can you say, show us the Father? He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up a really, um, I think, a powerful moment here. And so he's saying, again, more with the, like, really strong statements. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me, right? Like, he's still kind of, like, hint, hint. Like, what does that mean? He's, he's equating himself with God. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. And he's saying, the Father is doing his works, right? God is working in this world. And so if you look back to the whole Bible, you see God is doing his works. And what is he doing? He's building a family together, right? He's healing humanity. He's dealing with the problem of human sin. He's, he's overthrowing the forces of darkness, the power of darkness in the world. God is doing his works. You can read the old, whole Old Testament and see that God is doing his works. And Jesus comes and says, the Father is doing his works, but I'm in the Father. The Father is in me. And he says, if you don't believe that, just look at the works that I'm doing. And so if you could stop and step back and say, okay, yeah, what works was Jesus doing? He was building a family in the midst of the world, right? He's healing humanity. He's dealing with the problem of human sin and taking care of that. He's overthrowing the works of darkness. And so he's trying to help them see God's doing his works in this world. Now look at the things that I've been doing. Can you not see that I am God coming to do for his people what God always promised that he would do for his people? That's who I am. I'm doing the works of God. And that's why you should believe that I am who I say I am. And then he says something even crazier in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These are crazy verses. Okay, these are the craziest ones. So Jesus claiming to be God, like that's big and would have blown all their minds. But now he goes a step further. God is doing his works in this world. I have been doing the works of God. You can see and believe that God is in me and I'm in God, that he is, like there's this Trinitarian picture that he's giving us there. But then he says, look, if you believe in me, you're going to do these, great, these works of God as well. And not only that, you're going to do greater works than me. 
And I think if you have trouble believing that, then all you have to do is keep reading further into the New Testament, and you'll begin to see that these same followers who were weak, who were the deniers of Jesus, were the very ones that were sent out. And what did they do? They built a, 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 a family in the midst of the world. They healed humanity, right? They, they, uh, be, they dealt with the problems of human sin, and they overcame the powers of darkness because Jesus and the Spirit of God was working in and through them. And so Jesus, when he said these words, was not speaking hyperbolically, I don't believe. I think he was saying, I'm going to do this, and then he went and did it. It's like Jesus saying, I'm, God's been doing his works. I've been doing the works of the Father, and I'm going to keep doing the works of the Father, but now I'm going to do it through you as I send you out. And then he makes this statement, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do that. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. These have always been like the hardest theological verses for me to like wrestle with, you know, because we've all done it, right? You ask for um, something as stupid as like um, a Lamborghini or something, you know, and nope, doesn't happen. So this verse can't be real. Or you ask for something more like theologically legitimate, like you ask for healing for somebody, you pray for salvation for somebody and God doesn't answer it. These, these are hard verses to kind of interpret like that. But I think what Jesus is saying in this context is he's saying, God is doing these great works. I've been doing these works. You're going to do greater works even than these. And he says, if you ask me for anything, I'm going to do it for you. I think he's talking about these works of the Father. Where, where yes, like in Jesus, he was doing all that. With the New Testament uh, disciples, he was doing all that. But if you look down still today, I think God still wants to do his work in the midst of this world. I think he absolutely wants to. And I have small faith, and there are many times that I don't truly believe that God wants to do big things in the midst of this world. But I'm telling you that God does big and impossible things today, just like he did back then. Amen. And I am not the most charismatic person that you're going to meet. I'm not the signs and wonders pastor that's going to like heal somebody in front of you. Unless like maybe I need to check my faith on that. I don't know. Like if God calls me to, I've got to be up for it. But what I'm saying is this, man, God wants to do these things. And here is a promise from God that man, as Jesus reveals himself, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. As he reveals these things to them, as he's talking about his connection to the father, he's saying, look, I've been doing these works. You're going to do this as well. I'm inviting you into it. I'm telling you, I've, I've seen like literal impossible things happen in our church family in the last two weeks. Like literal impossible things, like medical scans that come back clear after like, like just God does impossible things. Um, I get to work with a, um, an organization called AIM. It's Agape International Missions and they do, um, they, they literally like rescue girls from human trafficking in Cambodia. And, and the way it started, I mean, it's such a, it's so powerful to me because the way it started was um, Don and Bridget Brewster. Um, Don was the, uh, a, a pastor at Adventure Church here in town. Went to Cambodia for a missions trip, found out that trafficking was an issue over there, and um, contacted agencies and said, hey, what can my church do to help with that, right? Because trafficking is this awful thing. What can we do to help? And he was basically told, honestly, it's a really complex problem. It involves government. It involves police. It involves culture. There's all kinds of reasons why it's complex. There's not really anything you can do, but just send us your money, and we'll keep, like, addressing it. And he prayed about it and did not feel okay about that. And so he, knowing nothing about trafficking or how to solve it, moved with his wife over to Cambodia. They started a home for girls that were being rescued out of that. They started healing, restoring them, basically doing impossible things, seeing little girls whose lives have been absolutely crushed by, by the worst evil you can imagine, seeing them come alive again. 
um, along the way saw the corruption that was in the, in the government and police at the time, started their own SWAT team. Like, who knows how to start a SWAT team? Definitely Don did not know how to do this, but starts a SWAT team. And they've been rescuing, like, thousands of girls out of this thing. They've been going to um, neighborhoods where the parents are, like, falling prey to these predatory loans, and so they're literally selling their girls into trafficking because they don't know what else they can do. And they're, they're going and they're, they're shifting the culture, and they're stabilizing society, and they're building these schools, and um, trafficking in Cambodia is reducing, like, to an insane degree. It's crazy, and it's impossible, and they'll be the first ones to tell you it's impossible, and yet God is doing it. And how did he do it? Not because they were, it's awesome, it's amazing. And they're spreading into, like, Brazil and other places like that. But the, but the crazy thing about it, man, it, uh, that I love is they didn't know what they were doing, you know? But God does his works. He's doing his works in the world. And when we're connected to Jesus, when we can just, I mean, the reminder that the goal is to be with Jesus, and the way to be with Jesus is to be with Jesus, right? He is the way to that. And so when we're with him, what can we not ask and have him, and have him answer it? And so I, the way I want to just close this this morning is I'm going to invite the band um, to come up, and we're going to sing a little bit, but I want you just to reflect with me for a minute. There's some really powerful words that Jesus spoke here, and so I want us to think um, along two lines, okay, with, with what we saw this morning. I think there's kind of two main response pieces here. One is this. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is such a powerful and life-changing statement, and it's one that I, um, I think I'm going to keep wrestling with the rest of my life. And so just picturing Jesus, for some of you, um, you need to wrestle with those words. You need to see Jesus. I think there's a tendency for us to see Jesus from a distance. There's a tendency for us to see Jesus in a distant theological textbook sort of a way. But what I would like to, to invite you into is into an encounter with Jesus to come face to face with him and ask yourself, do I believe that? Have I found Jesus to be the way? Have I found him to be the truth? Have I found him to be this life-giving person in my life? And so I want to invite you now to just in your heart, wrestle with that tension and wrestle with that statement. And man, if you're finding yourself finding something in Jesus that you've never had before, I would love to know it. Talk to somebody. I'll be out in the lobby. I would love to talk to you about that. Um, and the other side of it is, man, is Jesus is saying, I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. We're invited into that life of the Trinity together. Jesus is in the Father. The Father is in him. And Jesus will, in this, in this upper room setting, he will continue to talk about how we are invited into that life of the Father and the Son and to do these works and these things that Jesus knows us very well but still chooses, despite our weaknesses, to send us and to use us. And so why don't you close your eyes together with me as we get ready to pray here. And I want you to picture the impossible things in your life right now. Like what is causing you the most pain and frustration and heartache right now? What is impossible in your life right now that you're seeing? And do you believe that if you ask that in Jesus' name, on his behalf, asking as one of his children, if you ask in Jesus' name, do you believe that he will answer that request, that he will do his works in this situation through you. It may be a relationship that's impossible. It may be your own struggles with doubt and, and not seeing God for who he is. It may be a, a, another person's salvation that you've been praying for forever. It may be physical suffering that you've had. Whatever it is, do you believe that God wants to work in that? And so I'm just going to invite you 
that as we um, sing, I want you to just mull these things over, encounter Jesus and process these impossible things in his presence. Use the song to express yourself to God. Um, forget the words of the song even and just talk to God as we sing this. Um, but let's just all lean in and encounter him. And so, Jesus, we just ask that you would be working. Lord, may we see you for who you are. Thank you for this revelation of yourself. Thank you that you would come to us and be with us, be our way. And Lord, thank you for this invitation to follow you, to be with you, and to work in this world as, as you are working and continue to work. Lord, may you use us. May, we, may you, Lord, please just grant us the faith to believe these impossible things in our life that you will do, that you will work in. I believe that you will, Lord. Grant us greater faith. Grant us this closeness, this intimacy with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.